Welcome to the Mental Advantage Podcast. Whether you're an athlete trying to perform at your best when it counts the most, a coach or business leader trying to get more out of your team, or someone looking for more personal growth, this is the place for you. This podcast is your map to guide you to the right mindset systems and strategies you need to become the best version of yourself and now here's john cullen and brandon allen all right brandon i'm really looking forward to this week's guests um both from clemson university so we have on the show is uh, dr bailey nevels and Dr. Marcia Edwards, uh, both in that sports psychology department and working with student athletes at Clemson. And, you know, Bailey, of course, kind of coming from that administrative role, she's the coordinator of psychological services for student athletes. And then Marcia is the sports psychologist um, and working with the athletes. And uh, as you'll hear them, as we, I should say, heard them say uh, during the interview that, you know, they kind of approach things from a couple of different angles, but you can definitely tell throughout the conversation that they're very unified in their approach and how what they're doing as, as it relates to those student athletes. Oh, for sure. There's a there seems to be a common thread, but, a, you know, different way that they both approach approach it. And, um, you know, certainly with the uh, mental well-being of, of the student athletes uh, at heart. Um, Again, you know, as a as a father um, of of someone that's in college right now, and and I know with you having uh, Mac and, and Bailey, it's good to know that there there are genuine, genuinely good, and and kind hearted doctors like like Bailey and Marcia out there. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, having the listeners hear it and uh, provide some feedback. Absolutely. And so we'll, we'll ask, uh, talk, make sure to, uh, get in, you know, we wanted to talk to them because we wanted to find out how it's been like with COVID. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about just all kinds of different things, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, Bailey breaks that down for us and talks a little bit about that and how they use that with the athletes. And then, um, really Marcia, especially and one of the things we, we discuss is that life after sports. And we've talked about this before with some of Max, you know, challenges coming, being a college football player. And, and when you finish up is now what, you know, everybody was kind of telling you what to do every minute of the day for four or five years, depending on if you're fortunate enough to, to go uh, on and play. And, you know, all of a sudden everything has to come to an end and now, you're the one who's making those decisions and scheduling your time. And so they talk a little bit about that as well. And, um, and then she has both of them have, we asked to share some advice with the parents out there, like you said. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, we will uh, get to the interview and we look forward to next week's guest is Dr. Brett McCabe. Um, who's actually from the University of Alabama. We have a little bit of a college run going over the next uh, yeah. three or four weeks uh, with Alabama and Mississippi State. And then also don't forget that somewhere in that mix in the early part of May is going to be another visit from our friend of the show, Dr. Mo Pickens, who's going to talk to us a little bit about the off the course as part of that uh, off the course preparation as part of the Grand Slam series that we're doing with him around the PGA uh, yeah. major tournaments. One of his guys just won the uh, the RBC at uh, down there in Hilton Head. So that was, uh, you know, awesome. Thing. Good for him. Yeah, there you go. So some of you golfers that are listening in, you'll be able to pick up uh, maybe a few tips that help you shave off a few strokes off your game. I know Mac, uh, my son has a big uh, golf tournament coming up and uh, maybe he'll, he'll tune in and, and pick up a few uh, extra tips along the way. I didn't mow did a uh, putt putt. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a, it's a more aggressive, uh, <laughs> more aggressive accelerated putt putt. It's on the uh, ESPN Ocho. Oh, the Ocho. Nice. The Ocho. Yes. So, all right, guys. Well, we will talk to you next week. Don't forget, um, you know, we still are trying to get that Q&A show together. So it's not too late to get your questions in. We've had some questions come in to our uh, email address. But again, it's podcast at mentaladvantage.net. 
So make sure you're sending those questions in so that Brandon and I can answer them on a show. And like I said, we may mention your name, not that that would do anything for you, uh, but at least you'll have that. So, which is nice. All right. Great Gunga Galunga. <laughs> have a great night. Well, Brandon, as we talked about in the intro, I'm so excited for this conversation tonight. Uh, we have Dr. Bailey Nevels and Dr. Marcia Edwards from Clemson University with us. And we this is something that you and I talked about would be two wonderful guests for us because they are so involved in that student athlete process, but also because we spend so much time talking about on the field and on the court and how the athlete's mindset is and how they're overcoming adversity and dealing with pressure. And so many times I think people forget that doesn't stop just because they're not on the field or on the court anymore. I mean, they, it's probably, especially for 18, 19, 20 year olds, as both of these two ladies will tell us tonight is probably equally as hard or challenging or difficult. Some of them, I think the athletes would probably say, Hey, I, I, I kind of like being on the field and on the court because it's a little bit easier for me from a mental standpoint than it is not being on the field or on the court. Yeah, for sure. Cause they can, that that's an environment they're used to and they can control it. Right. Versus coming off and, and either because you're, you're hanging them up or you've got an injury or, you know, especially going to a place like Clemson where everyone that goes to Clemson can play. Right. right. So you're, you're, you're off the field stuff um off the court stuff absolutely matters a lot more and and um i'm anxious to to hear what the doctors have to say absolutely so um bailey and marcia thank you all for joining us and and why don't we start out with just um bailey if you want to take the lead on this we can just find out you know where how it came to be that you got into the this career that you did tell us first of all what your position is at Clemson and then maybe a little bit about what got you started down that path I coordinate student athlete wellness um, from a mental health perspective with student athletes at Clemson obviously Uh, I've been in this position since 2014 so going on seven years in August and I kind of had like a roundabout direction to get into working with athletes I grew up playing sports. Um, I played softball and then I tell my athletes not to laugh at me, but then I switched to competitive cheer, which I totally believe is a sport. But um, (laughs) so I know a little bit about the competitive mindset, but I always felt like I could connect well with that athlete personality, you know, like the, the highly driven, very competitive motivated. Um, so I like working with clients like that. And so this position came open after I finished my PhD. And so, um, it's been a good fit ever since I, uh, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and then I took intro to chemistry and realized that was not the best fit for me. So then I, I switched to psychology. I always wanted to understand why people do the things that they do. And I worked at a camp, a camp as a camp counselor and really just got to know kids and, and saw the power of that like one-on-one relationship to really help people. And so just ever since then, I've kind of caught the bug uh, for, for mental health care. And so what I do at Clemson is a lot of individual meetings with student athletes about mental health. So stress management, anxiety, depression, relationships, but there's also a, I do more of the administrative roles of my position in terms of, you know, consulting with administration about policies and and structures and how we can best uh, program things to destigmatize mental health. And then um, fortunately, we've seen such an, an increase in utilization that two years ago, we were able to bring on uh, Marcia. So uh, hopefully that's a good segue nice. <laughs> for you to introduce yourself. Yeah, I can, we can, Brandon, and I can step out of the way now. <laughs> yeah, y'all go at it. It was absolutely perfect. And you did it exactly the way I was like, oh, I hope she does it this way. Um, but so, yeah, so um, two years in August, um, I've been at Clemson and um, I would say that my interest in sports psychology came about because I identified as an athlete for most of my life. And I remember um, being an undergrad and um, my dad was like, oh, you want to be a psych major? I don't know about that. They don't use their degrees. And I was like, I'm going to make this work. Like, 
his yeah. skepticism <laughs> and my degree choice, he was like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And I just thought back to high school, um, playing soccer, running track. Um, and then my first sport being like gymnastics. I was like, I remember when I was injured and I wasn't coach's favorite anymore. And that was really hard for me to deal with. And I was like, well, I wish I would have had someone to talk to about that. And then back then, you know, you didn't talk to anybody. You just had to suck it up and try to prove yourself Mm -hmm. to get back in coach's good grace. And so that was the route that I took. Um, I went to Hampton University um, in Hampton, Virginia, and for my uh, undergrad. And then after that, I went to University of Tennessee and really focused on the sport aspect. So um, the degree I got there was in kinesiology and sports psychology. And um, I really got a firsthand look at like, okay, this is really what you want to do. This is what you're going to be working with. And so being introduced to the field um, at that time was when I really fell in love with sports psych. And um, by the time I was done with that degree, I was like, oh, well, I would just be a consultant. Like, I got to go all the way. I don't want to refer my clients out. I want to be able to deal with the mental health, but also the sport performance piece. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going back to school. Um, And so I had moved to um, Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I completed most of my degree requirements. And um, I had to, you know, stay involved in the sports psych world uh, by going to conferences and, you know, being on listservs because there weren't too many people in my program that were interested in sports psych. And uh, when internship came, I was like, I have to be in the sports psychology world, like fully immersed. And so my internship was at the university or yeah, the University of Oklahoma. And uh, that's where they have one of the first and largest um, sports psychology departments. And so it was really great to work with them. And then like every day of my life was just sports psych. And I really appreciate it. I was like, oh, I did this right. Um, And fortunately, you know, they had a position open at Clemson and it was right on time. (laughs) So like she said, does most of the administrative work, all the administrative work. I don't do too much. (laughs) I try to stay out of it. And I I think that we kind of we kind of divide and conquer. Uh, Marcia does a lot of kind of advising to our student athlete groups. So we have, for example, uh, a diversity and inclusion initiative called Tigers Unite and Marcia um, connects with them and helps them with programming and that sort of stuff. So she she does that piece, and then I kind of you know coordinate yeah. the admin stuff. Both of y'all brought up something that's really interesting to me, and and it and it looking back, I think I ask it almost of every every guest that we have because you both brought up you know coming through and not having that kind of resource that you guys bring to the table. Right. And John and I talked about about it as well. And I think it's one of the things that, that interests us is that, you know, us coming through and Marcia, like you said, whether it's the suck it up attitude or whatever it was, you there were things that we did from a mental performance standpoint that have a name today. But back then you, you were just kind of trying to survive. Right. Um, how how have you guys seen it since? since you've been in, in the, um, the industry or the field, the acceptance of, of mental performance of, of athletes and, and their overall mental health, um, is that something that is widely embraced or do you still see um, you know, certain sections or certain sports that have uh, a little more resistance to it? I would say that, you know, it really depends. And when I say it depends, it depends on the sport. It depends on the day. Depends on the year. <laughs> okay. Okay. And what the issues are, what this, what those student athletes are bringing to the table. I think, um, yeah. And I would say in general, sorry, I interrupted you. Um, uh, it's similar to a typical mental health clinic, right? You're going to, the, the majority of your patients are going to be women. And so I think that translate to sport that there's still, um, it's much more acceptable for a woman to talk about her mental health struggles than a man. But with that being said, we see an increase of about 10 to 10% every year, at least 
of, of utilization. So, I mean, that might be, I might have to double check my numbers, but every year it gets bigger. And even, even during COVID, we saw an increase, even though it wasn't as high as we usually see. So yeah, one of the biggest wins for us is when a, a student athlete comes to us and says, oh, my teammate told me to come and see you. You know, Absolutely. because the fact that they're talking about it with each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all. Because awesome. we can we can present resources until we are blue in the face, but they don't want to listen to us. They listen so much better to one another. Um, yeah. So, have you found that you all are cognizant of the fact that maybe even little things like just the way you introduce yourself from a title standpoint? Because you know, we were talking. We, we we've had all kinds <clears throat> of different guests on the show, and a lot of times some of the uh, folks that are dealing with like mental performance, for example, at the major league level, um, they talk about the fact that when they introduce themselves to players, sometimes they remove the mental piece and just say, I'm a performance coach or whatever the case may be, just because they don't want that athlete, like having this, like, Oh, you know, somebody going to think differently of me because I have, uh, I'm talking to this, you know, sports psychologist or whatever the case may be. I don't think that we have really done too much of that. I think one of the areas that we have really tried to destigmatize um, mental health in the sports psych with uh, the student athletes is just being more visible. So um, now that we're a two person team, um, I can do a lot more outreaches. And like she said um, earlier, like going to our Tigers Unite or um, we have SAC meetings that I attend, um, just being very visible. And so they can get to see our face, realize that we're not big and scary. <laughs> and I think that that's helped a lot because we've gotten a bunch of people reaching out to us um, and referrals based on like, oh, well, I think I recognize that girl over there. Um, what does she do again? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. will say that when I first started this, this role, I was just coming out of my degree. I felt like I had worked very hard. And, uh, and so the first person that was my supervisor in the athletic department was like, well, what do you want them to call you doctor? And I was like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah know? of course I worked hard to get this degree. <laughs> That's right, right. And, and looking back on that, it, it seems a little prideful because it can sometimes be a barrier to, yeah. you know, kind of create this power dynamic of, Oh, I'm the expert, you know, so I think, I think it fits in well with the culture at Clemson too, though, not to give them, you know, some extra plug, like they need it, but you know, at Clemson, you, they've started to divide the, to create this brand of quality, right? I mean, across all the athletic departments and it's always like, you know, their facilities are a little bit bigger, their uh, services that they provide the athletes is a little bit more than maybe what you're going to get at other colleges. So I think there's part of that that also plays into this where it's like, hey, why wouldn't we have a sports psychologist or two sports psychologists on staff here at Clemson? Because it's Clemson, right? I mean, that's the kind of, it becomes the expectation. So it's yet another thing that just as they're um, working hard as athletes to do the physical piece of it, the weightlifting and things like that, it makes sense that we would also have at that school, somebody that's going to be dealing with the mental side of things. So I think there's probably an advantage uh, if you will, that you all have with that as well. There's also, you know, that you across the country, counseling centers are kind of at capacity. And so I think it's really comforting for parents to know that there's two people embedded that are there that can kind of be there to respond, uh, you know, if their student athlete needs something. So, I mean, sometimes we've had coaches introduce us to parents on recruiting visits, which is always like a good feeling, you know, that like we could potentially be a selling point. But, you know, I, I think uh, part of creating this position was to respond to the demand that we're seeing in this this age group across the country. So I think so many people have this perception of athletes that they just have it all together, that they're always dialed in, ultra focused, um, never get too high, never get too low with regards to the ebb and flow of the ball game. They're just machines almost. And nothing could be further from the truth. And you guys see it way more than we do. Um, but I think that people would be really interested to hear what are some of the pain points that you all deal with? 
on a daily basis when it comes to these athletes. I mean, I, we'll get into the whole COVID pandemic thing here in a second, because I know that has got to be just a whole nother level of what you all have been dealing with, helping people navigate that throughout the course of the last two years. But what are some of the common pain points that maybe people wouldn't consider uh, as they think about the student athlete they see on TV that's playing that ball game? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people on college campuses see athletes and they say, oh, they're wearing the fancy gear and they get priority registration. And there's a lot of privilege that comes with their role, right? But they work so hard and constantly. And one of the biggest pain points for us is helping them with work-life balance, you know, and helping them um, manage their stress when they're literally scheduled from sometimes 5 a.m. till 9 in the evening. And that's just, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot for me to handle. That's a lot for, for anybody. So that's a big, a big piece. Um, I think we talked about this a little earlier. Everybody at Clemson is, is pretty talented to play at this level, but, you know, they're coming from being the best in their field to now all of a sudden everybody on their team was the best in their state somewhere. And that's a big adjustment. So we work a lot with expanding their identity. You know, you're not just an athlete. There's more to you than that. And and drawing on those other parts of yourself will help you be a better athlete. So that's some of the things we see along with like this age group is kind of when some of these mental health diagnoses start to emerge. So that's when we start to see more of depression and anxiety. So there's a lot of protective factors about being an athlete there, but they're not immune to uh, immune to it, all the struggles that come along with being a young adult. So, yeah. So do you, do you all also assist with, you talk about expanding that identity um, and, and John and I have spoken about it as well, right. With his son um, who uh, got done playing, playing football at James Madison, um, you know, and, and I'm even seeing it with my my oldest daughter now who had an opportunity to play um, basketball in college and kind of decided that wasn't what she wanted to do. Um, but there definitely seems to be kind of a missing piece um, now, right? And, and do y'all also help with that as they're exiting Clemson um, and, and that transition from college athlete to, um, you know, the, the real world, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my dissertation was actually on athletic identity and how it helps and hinders um, student athletes, but hindering more so um, when you have a strong athletic identity, um, it is harder to transition and um, more than half of uh, student athletes that do transition report the experience as negative um, because they haven't had that opportunity to really explore who they are outside of their sport. And I think that um, when they come to us, um, they might not necessarily understand that we're trying to help them figure out what their values are um, and who they are in other roles in their life. And so that's something that we definitely build upon because once they have a sense of other roles and responsibilities in their life outside of their sport, they're going to be able to live more congruently. And that um, also goes for after they leave um, their role as a student athlete, they're going to have an idea of like, okay, what do I need to do? How do I find meaning in my life if sports not there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it's the schedule. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, as Bailey just talked about that 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. For my son, that was one of the things that, you know, I was telling uh, people when they would ask, how is it going with him, you know, post playing and all of that was you got to keep in mind a coach or somebody has scheduled literally every minute of their day up until basically the time they go to bed. And nowadays they're even scheduling their sleep or at least having discussions about the sleep. So imagine when all that stops and it's day one of no more coaches telling me what to do. And you're like, geez, I've always been on somebody else's schedule. Now I have to kind of come up with this on my own. So that's got to be a challenge that you're dealing with as well. We really try to teach them how to take care of themselves in their free time as well. And, and the more you live concurrently with your values, this is that acceptance and commitment therapy that, that I like so much. 
the, the more congruently you live with your values, the healthier you're going to feel and the less likely you're going to be completely destroyed if you have a bad game. And so really, I mean, it helps you with yeah. your sport performance, in my opinion, you know, cause yeah. like you can be more resilient. You can see losses as data points, not as like, you know, character flaws. So, you know, I think that's a great point. So will you do me a favor, unpack that just a little bit more, that acceptance and commitment therapy, because we, um, I think it was Grant Parr, it was somebody, it was one of our guests here, probably four or five episodes ago, started kind of introducing this to us. And we, and it was something that I found very interesting. I know Brandon did as well, but is that, um, what all does that kind of get into that acceptance and commitment therapy? Just maybe a little bit more about that. Sure. So acceptance and commitment therapy is essentially kind of an offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy. The goal of this type of model is to increase somebody's psychological flexibility. So you kind of work on looking at things from more than one perspective. So um, you're less stuck on your thoughts, for example. Um, And so the way you do that is, so in CBT, for example, you would tell somebody, try, try to think of, try to change this thought into a different thought. Acceptance and commitment therapy would just say, okay, we're going to label this as just a thought. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. And then we're just going to let it go. So again, it's trying to kind of work on changing your perspective, but looking at things um, with curiosity rather than automatically assuming they're true. So let's say that like, I don't know, um, uh, an offensive lineman has like a really bad game and, you know, his thought is like, oh, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at this. And so you would look at it and say, okay, um, how do we know that's true? You know, Mm -hmm. is there another interpretation of your performance? Like maybe you didn't get good sleep or maybe the guy next to you had an issue with his following the play. And so you kind of look at things from multiple angles so that you're less stuck on that one perspective. Yeah. Uh, And acceptance and commitment therapy also encourages you to be live consistently with your values and um, to work on being present in the moment. So Mm -hmm. a lot of mindfulness practice, um, to kind of, to kind of work on focusing on what's in front of you rather than getting stuck in your thoughts. It's a really good, um, I I'm thinking about something I recently, we had a guest Tyler Pazik on, um, and Tyler was talking about this acronym of car is, you know, when you're talking about a, and he likes car because it puts the person in the driver's seat. Number one, they're in control of what's going on, but the C stood for catch the thought, you know, so catch yourself with that negative thought. The A is accept it, And then the R was just basically what's another, it's a refocus or a retake on that thought. What's another thought I could now put into my mind that would be, that would replace that. Basically the R was replaced, not rethink. Um, because I think to your point, it's okay to say, Hey, these thoughts are natural. I can't turn my mind off. This is, this is going to be, the mind's always in motion. It's okay to have those thoughts as long as I recognize it for what it is and then be able to move on beyond Mm -hmm. that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And it's also a lot of, I don't want to, sorry, I don't want to dork out too much. But no, dork out all you want. This is good stuff. <laughs> the, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy uses a lot of metaphor, uh, you know, and so it's, it's learning to look at anxiety, for example, as an unwelcome party guest. So I can sit there and I can try to say, go away, anxiety, leave anxiety. Like you're not welcome here. Or I can just try to like, move through my life as though this, this person's going to be at the party and whether I like it or not. So I'm just going to willingly accept that and, and not let it control me. So, yeah, I'll just no, gray rock the, uh, I'll gray rock the, uh, <laughs> the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really cool. It's a really cool thing because I think it's what I always say is a, uh, you know, when working with teams, I always tell them my goal is not to get them to think more positively. It's to get them to think less negatively. It's, it's really just kind of 
going through the the idea that you know you're going to have all of these things come up whether it's anxiety whether it's pressure and pressure is a good thing i mean you don't play at clemson for example and not be in pressure situations like you all are probably dealing with this a lot so let let's talk about just a little bit of a segue here because i i want to make sure we have time to get into this COVID. I mean, this pandemic year has been unbelievable. Suicide rates, depression, all of those things have gone up. I, you know, one of the challenges that has been facing a lot of the student athletes that people don't realize is the, you know, as Marcia pointed out earlier, that identity piece to it. But now imagine that identity when you're not even sure you're going to have a season or not. You don't know if you're going to play from week to week. You don't know whether or not your senior year that you've been waiting for and the last time you can rub, you know, the rock and run down the hill or whatever is even going to happen. Like all of these things that you all were probably managing during this year. And that's just all of the like, as an athlete stuff, not even the personal stuff, the isolation and stuff like that. What's that been like for you guys? It's been a roller coaster. (laughs) It's one thing after the other. I mean, I think that Bailey can speak to the administrative part of it and trying to figure out, you know, what protocol um, do we follow if X, Y, and Z happens. But um, as far as like interventions, like talking to teams or even just meeting one-on-one, I think that uh, doing a lot of like self-compassion and self-care has been what we've been focusing on, um, making sure that they're taking care of themselves, focusing on what's within their control um, instead of other things that are going on that could change, um, you know, then the next minute. And we've seen that happen. (laughs) Practices get canceled, games getting canceled and rescheduled, right, because of positive COVID tests. And also um, you mentioned the isolation, which has been really difficult. Um, We've been, um, you know, making sure that everyone is quarantined and they're having to move out of their dorms, live in hotel rooms, um, make sure that they're isolating themselves so they're not spreading, but also like they're by themselves. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of them, you know, they haven't had to do that. They haven't had to be by themselves. I mean, they're on teams. Um, and they're used to, um, being in a social environment and they can't do that. And then, um, also not only are they not able to be around teammates, um, because they're isolating, but also like, they don't really have a social life. Um, you know, we've had a lot of, um, restrictions and guidelines in the Clemson area about, you know, if you can be downtown or, um, you know, whether you can gather or not and, Um, that's been difficult for them to handle as well. One of the things that I really encourage athletes to do is to make more friends outside of their sport because because they get sick of each other anyway, which happens to any social group that is around each other that much. So they need people that they can connect with that aren't going to sit there and talk about their sport. They just need a little bit more balance. And this year has completely tanked that concept. You know, they can't really date right now, right? They're not really supposed to be spending time with people that aren't on their team. So it's been a challenge um, in really trying to foster effective communication with each other too. You know, like if I see you, if I see on Snapchat that you're at a bar, how am I going to deal with that? You know, because we've seen, (laughs) we've seen some pretty interesting dynamics with, Like, you know, this girl, I'm trying to follow the rules, but this girl's out doing her thing. And, and that makes me really mad. Right. So do I tell the coaches or do I talk to her first? So there's been a lot of the social isolation has been the biggest hurdle because we, there's nothing really we can do about it. You know, you have to be, you have to be safe. You have to be healthy. And so the acceptance and commitment therapy again comes into play because you're learning the assumption is, you know, I have to feel in control to be happy, right? That the reality is we cannot be in control. Mm-mm. And so how do we accept that and move through it rather than rage against it? You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, no, you know, this past year has brought a lot of opportunities for rage. <laughs> no question about it. Mm-hmm. So, so do you, Bailey, do you all deal with, and Marcia, maybe you, you have some insights into this as well is, 
how much are you all working with the coaches to prepare them for dealing with the player? And so what I mean by that is like, for example, we talked about the isolation a minute ago. And I think one of the, the, the key things, if in your role and in that coach's role is touch points, you need it. I mean, you probably have to ramp up those touch points you're having with your players, especially if uh, even if it's the off season, maybe where you're not able to see them as much as, whether it's a text message, whether it's just a phone call or whatever, just to make sure we're in constant communication with that student athlete so that we're not letting somebody slip through the cracks, so to speak, who may be isolated and wouldn't even be able to, to communicate that. Is that something you all are teeing up with the coaches? And then kind of the second piece to that question is how involved do you all get with the coaches as it relates to, hey, keep an eye out with, you know, these players because they've been you know starting to we're seeing some things or maybe they're talking to us and here's some things you could be looking for with them I think the great part about Clemson is we have a pretty big team and we work together a lot so Marcia and I do you know a lot of the student athlete focus work and then we have uh, two mental performance coaches that also have kind of like a coach's leadership academy. And that's kind of where some of those things get addressed, uh, which is a great, I mean, we all work together to kind of tackle the same thing from different angles. Um, We also kind of tap on our sports medicine staff a lot. They, uh, they can kind of be the relay person to the coach. We see this a lot with injury too, you know, somebody's injured and isn't going to practice and, people need to kind of touch base with that person. So we kind of tap on uh, other other folks within our department to, to focus on the coach piece. And a part of that is, you know, because of time. The other piece is our job works best um, when they know that when they come to speak to us that it's confidential. And so I think having separation from the coaches is helpful in that way. And we will we will bring them in to when it feels appropriate and when the student athlete is on board, but, um, yeah. So I have a question. So, so Marcia, do you having the kinesiology background and, and like you just said, Bailey, having kind of the, the, I would imagine the, the folks that are, that are doing the, the PT and the, the strength and conditioning and all, I mean, those, those to me were always the most important, um, factors for a team, um, whatever team it was, because they got to spend the most time with the athlete. But uh, with your background, Marcia, do you do you find it easier since you do have the kinesiology piece to talk to an athlete about an injury, or or do you guys kind of have to stay away from that and let the specialists do what they do, and you guys do what you do? No, so that's definitely uh, one of my interest areas, working with um, with injuries, right, and pain management. And so um, I use CBT um, mostly, and we're talking about, okay, what are we doing um, to manage this pain without uh, with our mind and without, you know, without meds, right? Outside of PT, what are you doing mentally, right, to ease this pain and to rethink your injury, um, so it's definitely one of the areas that we touch on sometimes depending on the injury, um, it could be a little bit more traumatic. And so even taking, um, looking at it from a trauma lens is something that I do with athletes. So, um, usually, um, I will have an athletic trainer reach out to me, um, and refer someone, um, who's having a difficult time coming back from their injury and, uh, working through that. Also, um, if they're getting ready for surgery, right? Um, sometimes they want kind of um, an idea of how they're doing mentally, right? Before they push them through to surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just giving them some coping skills, right? As they prepare for surgery um, and, you know, the recovery road. So definitely something that, that we get into as well. Yeah, and together with our mental performance coaches, we developed an injured athlete protocol, and so part of that is the athletic trainer sits them down and, and reminds them of their resources. But part of that is they're they're scheduled to meet either with one of us, Marcia and myself, or one of our mental performance coaches, uh, Katie or Corey. Uh, and we give them a survey um, during that meeting. And so depending on how the survey looks, 
they might come to us. If it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more mental distress. Uh, if it's less distress, they would get, you know, sent to our mental performance coaches. So. I love that. I think it's, um, yeah. I was, as you were, you're, you're teaching me well here, Bailey, because as I, as I started to hear what you were saying there, I was thinking about how acceptance and commitment really comes into play in that, right? I mean, it's a big, big part of that is understanding, yeah, this is an injury, but are there some opportunities in here? Can, is there a way I can re, rethink this whole situation and kind of goes to that CBT as well. Um, and I think Marcy, it's, it's very much with the injuries. It's the identity piece. That's the, that's what's hanging over them, right? Is this, is this the end? This is all I know. I am a football player. I am a basketball player. I am a baseball player or whatever. And then that's got to be hanging out there. And I also think it, it kind of, as we were talking about there with COVID, that's also what has, is at stake here, you know, for that person during COVID is they're constantly thinking, is this it? Like, you know, and that, I think with these student athletes, you all are probably dealing with so much as just always them asking that I tell people all the time, it's the difference between what if thinking and what is thinking. If I gave you a pencil and a piece of paper and asked you to write down what, a, you know, every single what if scenario, you could go through pages and pages. But the reality of it is we can't control any of that. So let's just focus on the what is. Um, and it's really hard to get people, especially young students. It's hard to get adults. Forget about the age has no barrier on that or, you know, uh, piece to this. But it's definitely hard when you're that student athlete and think, wow, this is this is, you know, what's going to happen if I can't do these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, and what really, does it mean? What does this say about how, how much I'm worth? You know? Yeah. So let me add, talk to the parents here, talk to the people who are at home and they they have that student athlete that is, um, you know, maybe not coming to Clemson where they're going to have such great skill, uh, you know, uh, health, you know, providers, mental health providers like yourselves, but, they're still sending somebody away. And, you know, what are some things they could be doing now? We always talk about the fact that, you know, um, some of the first mental performance, quote unquote, coaches that a kid will get is their parents, because if you can do a good job in teaching self-awareness and even just getting them to do something as simple as debrief their day and what kind of things that they've, they, the decisions they made, the, the results of those decisions and all that throughout the course of the day, but as you all have been in this role now for a few years, is there certain things that if you could talk to those parents, and I know you do with the perspective Clemson athletes, but for the listeners out there, are there things that they could be doing now that maybe would best prepare them for, um, you know, some of the challenges they're going to be facing? I don't know if that's kind of a little bit off of the beaten path for you guys, but I, you made me think about it when uh, you were talking there a minute ago. <laughs> You want to take this or you want me to, (laughs) (laughs) I was, well, parents, we love you. First, first thing you're really important (laughs) and, and you modeling, taking care of yourself and having good work-life balance is going to translate to, to your, your student athlete. So another thing I, I had a, a supervisor who would always encourage me to tell clients that you need to practice deep breathing, even when you feel good. You know, so doing these coping strategies, even when your circumstances are good. So teaching, you know, getting them a journal or having them, you know, we use headspace a lot at Clemson, but getting them into the mindset of doing these positive coping strategies so that they become habitual. Because what happens when life gets hectic is that self-care stuff goes out the window and the more habitual they, those things are, and the more automatic they are the less likely your student athlete is going to be to, to forget them or to not prioritize them. So just really kind of working on some coping strategies development. I would also say, know the resources uh, where your student athlete is going to go to school. Um, Is there a counseling center on campus? Um, Are there providers in that area that accept your insurance? So just kind of knowing Mm. to have those resources in your back pocket, just in case, um, Those are some tips that I would, I would tell them. Yeah. Marcia. So I was thinking about this and I think some of the student athletes I see too often, um, they're, they're forced to grow up really fast. And so making sure that you 
are catching opportunities for them to still be kids. Mm. Um, I think also that's on my mind because like with COVID, um, the freshmen that came in, they were robbed of a lot of, you know, special moments. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that we had to deal with as well was, you know, they're just really down to the dumps and rightfully so because they didn't go to prom and they didn't graduate and, you know, they didn't really get to celebrate, you know, or they didn't even, they didn't have their spring season. They didn't have their last season. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But they didn't get to celebrate any of that stuff that, you know, a lot of us got to do. Um, and so I think that kind of makes me think about like, you know, in years coming, like, are we still allowing these student athletes like in high school to have a childhood? And, you know, these are their last few years because like when you come to college, you know, you can still have fun, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be different. The environment's going to be different. Yeah. You made me think of something, Marcia, about, so I don't know, it's probably been five or six years ago. Now I saw an E60 um, report one time about this female athlete. She was all everything as a young player, you know, played on a bunch of national basketball teams, like junior national teams, that type of thing. She um, goes on into high school and is just equally as fantastic as she was as a young player. And she ends up going to Connecticut. She gets a scholarship offer to go play at UConn. She goes to UConn to play and everybody's all excited about it. I mean, you're talking about, you know, cream of the crop when it comes to women's basketball. So it's August. She packs up and get, gets ready to go to play for UConn and the great G- Gino. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, she's back at her front door. The doorbell rings. Her dad answers the door. And she says to him, he's like, what are you doing back? What happened? Are you hurt or whatever? And she said, no, dad, I hate basketball. I've hated basketball since the seventh grade. And I just couldn't tell you. Right. I mean, you guys are dealing with this all the time is you've got these athletes that they're there and they and people can't get that. Like, I imagine listeners right now are thinking like, there's no way this can't be true. Right. I mean, you play at Clemson where there are people who have accepted big time division one scholarships that really don't love the sport they're playing. It's been something that has been driven by a parent or something like that. Am I wrong? I mean, that's something you all deal with, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for there's sure. And so, transition. And, and I mean, there's there's kind of external factors, right? So it can feel really risky to give up a full ride. And mm-hmm. so do you look at your sport as this is a means to an end to get my degree and you just kind of accept that? Or do you make a change? And, and you know, those are some of the conversations we have for sure. The other thing I would say to parents is I as a, as a psychologist, I, I really value trying to send these folks out into the world more independent than when they came to see me. Mm. And so the more that we can empower them to be their own advocates. So somebody's having a hard time with the coach. I really want them to talk to the coach directly. I don't want to, I don't want to be the first line of defense. And so I think the more that we can encourage them to do that and, and, you know, talk to their teachers if they don't understand, because they're not going to have you in college. You know, you can email the professors. They don't love hearing from parents. (laughs) And so the more that you can kind of teach them to use their own voice, I think the better off they're going to be. And the more prepared they're going to be to deal with coaches, to deal with, you know, agents, (laughs) all the things that, you know, those conversations you're going to have to have later on. Marcia, did, I didn't want to cut you off there. Did you have something? No, I was just going to say, you know, it's a big transition um, from high school athletics to, to collegiate athletics. And so um, if your heart's not in it, you know, this isn't the time you can't, you can't fake it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, suck it up for, for mom or dad anymore because um, the adjustment can be difficult, even for those who love it. I think Bailey hit on something to to add to what you're saying there, Marcy, is I think she hit on that reason why as far as far as why people stick to it is it's that scholarship. It's that, you know, they reach a certain point. It's like you're past the point of no return, right? Like at some point you get your junior year or whatever, senior year in high school. And it's like, 
well, I got this full ride. If I stop playing now, I'm not, this full ride's gone, you know, and my mom and dad can't afford to send me to Clemson or they can't afford to send me to this college or whatever. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're stuck in that. And unfortunately that's what's keeping them still there. So, you know, it's also about like, um, they want to, they want to follow the right path, right? They, they want to be successful. Um, they've been successful for, for up to this point in their life. And so they want to make sure that they're setting themselves up to, you know, have a good life. And so sometimes that may mean, you know, going to Clemson and being a student athlete and forming those connections and networking. And when you graduate, you know, the alumni will, you know, um, find you, you know, a nice position somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's a reality too, right? What is it? we attach a lot of meaning to being a student athlete, even after they're student athletes. And so sometimes saying that you're a student athlete, a former student athlete at Clemson, that gets you in the door. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe even a little bit better than it is at the college of knowledge, Brandon. I don't know. Oh, John. uh... Here was our problem. You were were supposed to have friends that were not on the team. Yeah, that's where we messed up. And I think those friends have to go be successful at, at other things to be able to hook us up later. We missed that <laughs> part of it as well. We played John baseball Cullen is where you went wrong. <laughs> that's right. me, that's I right. got you nowhere. That's right. I was trying to hang on to your cape uh, and it, yeah, it I just well, fell off. So. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Closet in Nashville. it's so funny y'all talking about your uh your um your what do you call it alma mater yeah and you know at at clemson i'm not really allowed to say that i went to georgia but when you're talking about (laughs) when you're talking (laughs) about i went to Furman for undergrad and then oh nice yeah i did my grad school uh work at dead georgia and so when you were talking about pressure you know, the first thing that came to my mind was Kirby Smart says pressure is a privilege. And I was like, oh, oh I can't say that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they're going to be like, where'd you hear that? I can't quote Kirby and work for Clemson. Yeah. I imagine that you guys get, uh, speaking of football coaches, I imagine that um, most of the questions that you all get from uh, friends and family is stuff around Dabo. It's around like, you know, it's, it's everything about the coaches and stuff. You're like, you know, we do a lot more than just uh, deal with, you know, yeah. it's not just football all day long. And diving, we have <laughs> and, well, a friend of mine asked me if I gave Trevor Lawrence COVID. So that was a fun conversation. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing you bring up about Trevor Lawrence because you guys, I think at Clemson, um, have, and I think there's probably, you know, you look at the blue bloods. I was thinking about Marcia's track record there as far as not a bad gig going from university of Oklahoma to, uh, Clemson, you know, you've been around some programs there, but don't let um, her tell you who she really cheers for. <laughs> oh, who's this? We could, we could, we could talk about it on the air, but or, she's like, no, I won't be allowed back. Hey, John, you might want to wrap it up and stop Right now, right. I will not be able to go to work. Okay. <laughs> she's, yeah. She's an Ohio State fan. Oh. oh. Uh-oh. Well, you know what? Oh. Uh, so, former employee Marcia Edwards, we. Uh... <laughs> hey, Marcia, send me your resume. I'd love to have you on That's our right. team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so That's hilarious. But you know what? It's it's probably I mean, it's interesting, though, just looking at the different challenges you guys have, uh, because we didn't even get into the whole perspective NFL players perspective. And I mean, there's a lot of things because it's setting them up for what if it doesn't happen? Like, I don't even think a lot of these players allow themselves to have that thought. You talk about just you know, transitioning from being a football player to a real job. But it's also like what happens when I've been preparing all my life to be the, you know, I've been told I was going to be that NFL draft pick. And there's a lot of people sitting in that green room and nobody's calling on the phone and they, you know, and now all of a sudden you're just under that microscope with social media and everything else, because people are like, wow, did you see so-and-so? And everyone's afraid of being that guy, but you know, it happens. We, it, I kind of, I kind of try to tread lightly, you know, when we talk about a student athlete comes to meet with us for the first time and we talk about what they want to do when they're done with college. 
you know, and sometimes they want to play their sport professionally. And so I try to kind of nudge and be like, okay, so when you're done with your sport professionally, then mm-hmm. what's the plan? You know, at yeah. least to kind of yeah. plant the seed, like you right. can't do this forever and, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think it's really important that uh, they at least somebody's at least starting that conversation because I think as coaches, they don't necessarily want to go down that road because that's that's a motivator. It's going to get them working a little bit extra harder when they can continue to have that, uh, you know, as a, as a goal. So, well, guys, I can't thank you enough. It's as, you know, I, I am, uh, hopefully you guys had as good a time as we did in talking to you all, because it, I've learned a lot of stuff that, you know, kind of writing my notes down here of things that I'm going to be, uh, learning a little bit more about, um, diving into a little bit more, but I can say this, I mean, it's easy to see why, uh, you know, those student athletes at Clemson are, are so ready for when they do hit the court or the field is because you guys are probably uh, just too the dynamic duo, I would say. But I know there's so many more that that are involved in this whole process, as you said, some of the mental performance coaches. And we didn't even touch on the fact that the students as a whole just your traditional student that's not a student athlete, they have a whole nother mental uh, health group and team that's I'm sure working with them as well. So it's nice to see that that everybody's in good hands there because to your point, I mean, we talk about on this show all the time, I would hate to be a 15, 16, 17 year old kid nowadays. I really would. I mean, I'm so glad that I came. It was a long time ago. It was a couple of years ago when I was 15 or 16, but, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, but I'm just glad we didn't have social media and all the, the, the pressures. Yeah, e- easy. Leave it to beaver. <laughs> it wasn't like a, roll, a can and a string or anything like that. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, I remember the bag phone. But yeah, but that's social media. What's that? I tell them that all the time. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I always highlight, like, you are doing, you're doing well. Because me at that age, no, it wouldn't work. Social media, COVID, just the pressure. It's different. It's different these days. It's intense. Well, the, the systems and strategies, the things that you guys have to prepare them for. I mean, social media has got to be just one of the huge things because everything is about likes. It's about acceptance. It's about, you know, approval. And that's a very dangerous road to go down uh, for anybody. Well, but, all, you know, well, it's always the best of the best, too. It's, a, it's that comparison game yeah. against everybody's absolute best. Nobody ever sees. No one ever posts their bad day or average dinner, bad picture or their, yeah, the, the, the night they're having PB and J and Doritos, right. It's always the, the steak or the, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I And that, that comes up a good bit, you know, yeah. that, that you're looking at people's highlight reel, you know, and if they right. were looking at your Instagram page, they would probably think that your life is perfect too. Yeah. So it's just, you're not getting the full story. It's tough. I mean, but it is, it's the, the pressures and everything that are put on them is um, it's beyond um, it's beyond measure. Sometimes I, I just, I think as parents too, that's another thing we can all uh, do a better job of it. Just being patient with your kids, like, and having some understanding and empathy for that as well, I think is really important because um you know, when they, when they call home, that's another thing I think oftentimes as a parent of a student athlete is when they call home, don't like the first thing you need to be talking about is not everything about their sport that they've been just consumed with 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like maybe ask about them, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe just ask how they're doing and forget yeah. all of the, Hey, how was practice? How was all right. of the other stuff or whatever? So, because yeah. I think sometimes they want to get that break. Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, guys, well, listen, I can't thank you enough. And, um, and hopefully maybe on down the road, if you guys are working on anything, um, any particular projects or anything that you guys are kicking off now that is, is been uh, a new initiative or anything like that, or pretty much just been a lot of the same, um, you know, resources and things that you guys, which is plenty enough as it is, but, um, you know, I didn't know if you guys had anything else that you were doing. I know Bailey, one of the things in my, my show prep is I listened to a podcast of yours, uh, yeah. or that you were on and you were talking about SNL. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So that's always. I'm, a I'm good. auditioning for SNL soon. That's your co Mar- Marcia may be doing it actually once this gets aired on Friday because uh, once they find out about her true allegiance <laughs> with uh, she may be. She looking, loves Clemson too. Yeah, she loves she may Clemson. be looking for that ne- next gig. <laughs> she loves Clemson. No, we. Uh, um, well, you know, we're just really trying to make it through COVID year yeah. hopefully yeah. uh the acc is having a mental health summit uh hopefully in the next month or so so that's really exciting and trying to get some some programming conference wide so that's awesome that's fantastic yeah. well guys best of luck to you i hope that you guys are taking your own breaks and and your own mental breaks and checking out from time to time because you do so much and you're consuming so much of it from the the athletes themselves that it's good for you guys to take a break and get your own mental check-in. So uh, thanks for joining us. We really do appreciate you you being guests on the show. Thank you both so much. Want to provide feedback or stay up to date with the show? Visit our Instagram page at Mental Advantage Podcast, or you can send us an email at podcast at mentaladvantage.net. To have John Cullen work with you or your team, please write to him at john.cullen at mentaladvantage.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode.